even it is so early in the season that we're still roughly a week away from being able to option players. Welcome, everybody, to Roughly a Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Boyd, joined by my co-host, the Orchetti Kid, the Biscotti wow. Bad Boy. Wow. Phil, Phil Smeraldo. Wow, those are really both amazing. I like the Biscotti Bad Boy for more, though. <laughs> I think it, it fits more than the Orchetti Kid, but I do really like the Orchetti Kid. I like them both. I mean, speaking of which, of the Italians on the team, um, both have just been kind of big disappointments so far. Haggerty and Festa, neither of them have played well. Yeah. Uh, and Do we Fest- have any more Italians besides those two? Alex Liddy is a special advisor to the organization. I guess, is Tommy Listella, that name sounds Italian. That name sounds like I never want to hear it again the rest of my life. Yes. Yeah, me too. If, if that's fair. Um, yeah, no, Haggerty's been, been not very good, and Festa, and really the whole bullpen has not been sharp. Um, them's are two and five. Like, how are you, broadly, before we get into, like, you know, the nitty-gritty, how are you How are you coping with a two-win baseball team through seven games? Honestly, I'm fine. I am so fine. Like, it's not a – listen, every game matters. It's 162 games. But I, as I've, te- I've told you before, and – you know, I'm getting, and I know you're the same way. Like everyone knows we're so in tune with the Mariners. Everyone was like, what the fuck's going on? Oh my God. Why are they so bad? Hot take here. Really hot take. I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged with the team. I mean, I really like what is happening at the top of the lineup with a healthy Ty France, um, a healthy Gino. I, I, I know, and I know Tay Oscar is going to turn it on. His timing is off right now. He will, he will, but, get but back. when it's on, it is so yeah. on. Um, you know, obviously, the bottom of the order is giving us very, very little production right now between Colton Wong. But although me and you have talked about this, Colton Wong is is doing the right things right now, like his at bats are looking professional. Um, Jared has had his moments, you know, he doesn't look completely overmatched anymore, he looks just slightly overmatched, which I think is a huge, huge positive indicator i need i think he had another base knock yesterday yeah so there are encouraging signs here um you know i don't anticipate george kirby's gonna go out and shit the bed again like he did in against the angels i don't anticipate that um you know robbie ray whenever he does get back is going to be as bad as i he thought was. you were gonna say you don't anticipate to see robbie ray again the entire season yeah well no i mean i actually did you listen to depoto today i did not no okay so uh it sounds as though the preliminary kind of findings are that this is a short-term injury looking more in the time scope of weeks rather than months. So obviously that's subject to change if he gets out there and he starts uh, throwing regimen and, you know, he's got a ton of pain in that arm, then, you know, obviously it's, it's a much bigger issue, but it, it seems like the organization's optimistic that this is kind of a short-term thing. Yeah. Let's start there. Um, just, you know, we've talked about the record Rams went one of four against the guardians, one of three against the California angels, as my dad would like to say, and doesn't stop saying it's always the California angels with him. Uh, but with the Robbie Ray injury who, uh, in, got hurt in the fourth inning of the second game of the season with I a think he flexor. Was I think he was hurt from the moment he stepped on the mound. <laughs> yes. That's when he left the game. Um, but as Steve Sandmeyer pointed out on Twitter, he was noticeably wincing as he would kind of turn around to second base uh, a couple th- multiple times throughout that game and finally it just was enough was enough he has a flexor pronator injury and was put on the 15 day day il 
Um, our mutual friend, Stephen Coombs, who is a, a, a PT on, and he, uh, when this injury first happened, so th- this is prior to the report from Depoto today, uh, put this on Facebook saying that Ray's injury is medial, meaning it's inside the elbow joint. And on the medial side, you have the ulnar collateral ligament, your UCL. And the that, that's side. the one that we all know. That's the bad one. Yes. That's the one that's, you don't want to. That's the Tommy John one. Yeah. And then the flexor pronato bundle, which you get. Uh, actually with Disney plus ESPN plus and Spotify <laughs> kidding. Um, but that's, that's where the, there's a bunch of tendons to the bone and flexor and pronator. That's the muscles that flex the fingers and wrists and turn the hand and forearm over respectively. Again, this is not me. I have no idea about any of this stuff, but Steven did so a really good job real of explaining quick, it. Real quick about the pronation. Um, we talk about the pronation a lot when, uh, when like you hear about Trevor Williams, right. His in, insane changeup. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, what he's doing when he is throwing that pitch, that is a pronating his arm. Do you know another way Am of I saying, right? do you know another way of saying pronate, uh, pronation? No. America first. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Anyways, more from Steven here. When the UCL is torn, that's when players have Tommy John surgery. So when the flexor pronatal bu- bundle is strained, like Robbie Ray has, Players often need about 42 days of rest and rehabilitation to allow the muscle and tendon to go through the normal phases of healing, which would go with what DePoto said about this being a week's deal and not a month's deal. Uh, Unfortunately, about 20% of pitchers who go out with this injury will end up having Tommy John surgery within the next 12 months. So we'll, we'll still see with, with Robbie Ray, but the fact that early indications are that it's more on the 42 days and not the, uh, you know, year that it is with, with TJ is a good sign. Yeah, it sounds like he's probably going to be back early June. You know, we're we're going to miss him for April and probably May. I mean, well, theoretically, I mean, if it was only 42 days, it would be mid-May, but you know, he's going to need time to like Yeah, I'm work sure. Back up. I I'm guessing early June is when you're going to see Robbie Ray back I if guess. all goes well. Yeah. That's a fair assessment. And in place of him, Chris Flexen has gone into the rotation. So the free flex movement uh, was triggered almost instantly in the season and yeah. he's in the rotation. Uh, but Bryce Miller, Perlanda Barroa, Emerson Hancock are the next band up and standing by if there's another injury there or, um, you know, performance issues. But uh, the starter luck this I think when we first got back on the air for this season, that was like the first thing we talked about was how we are not going to have the starter luck that we had last year with nobody getting hurt. And here we are. Yeah, well, you know, that's baseball, right? Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's always funny to me how like one season to the next everything feels so different. Like, you know, the Mariners so good in one run games in the past. They've lost what, two one run games already? And, yeah. You know. Yeah, so it's like it's just it's just baseball, you know. Yep. Yep, exactly. And just a lot of the uh the the Finical, finicky nature of the game is uh, kind of playing out here, at least early. So hopefully things uh, course correct over the next few months here. But there's also just little bits of news. Nick Solak is in, in the organization. Any thoughts there? Because I have none. I like Nick Solak. I didn't realize he was as old as he is, which kind of disappoints me. I thought he was like 25. He's actually like 29. But when he came on to the scene with the Rangers, um, he was like, he was a top hundred prospect. He was one of those guys that was kind of expected to contribute, you know, and he was kind of a foundational piece for them. And then, you know, just struggle, struggle. I think that COVID season didn't do him any favors, all of that, and got shipped off to the Reds and now shipped off to the Mariners for cash consideration. So his stock has fallen considerably. I still think there might be something there. You see these late breakouts. We're experiencing one 
Uh, we actually just experienced a late breakout with Taylor Ward, who's almost 30 years old and didn't have a really good season until last year, you know? Mm -hmm. So it does happen. Uh, Taylor Ward was kind of a Nick Solak type where it was like fringe of the 40 man roster type of guy. And then last year he broke out and this year looks to be sustaining that progress. So it does happen. It's rare, but, um, you know, it can, it can happen. Maybe it's worth a shot. This is, uh, this the Scooby Doo meme where they take the mask off of of Nick Solak and it's just Jake Bowers under there. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's just another former future star that uh, that yeah. photo has has taken a flyer on. We'll see one of these. Hey, guys. you do it enough, one of them's going to work, right? And that's that's the logic, and it makes it makes some sense that the the yeah. talent was there or the 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 pedigree was there from the beginning, and there's something to bet on there. So we'll see with Nick Solak. And then the injuries, uh, the recoveries, I guess, that are the most important to the Mariners are uh, Dylan Moore and Taylor Trammell are progressing. I have not heard anything about Cade Marlowe, though, because that one is is also a spicy one, given that uh, anybody with a bat and a pulse is probably going to get some maybes for the Mariners at this point. Yeah. Um, are we going to talk about Evan White? Do we just not yeah, even want to go there? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine to make a rule on this podcast that we cannot talk about Evan white until he hits a, a home run in a Mariners Jersey again. Is that fair? Yeah. I, I, I don't think it's ever going to happen. <laughs> well, I mean, I really don't. Yeah. RIP to Evan white. So I guess this will be the last time we ever mention him. What a fucking tough career this guy's had. And, and, you know, honestly, I'm one of the most, and you, you know, I'm not an overreactor really when it comes to baseball. I unless like Abraham Toro's involved in the, the yeah, but you know, I like to really try and and get accumulate a large sample size, and I don't really love. I I'm always a hammer and a horror, you know, about um, you know, what could we expect with this guy? Well, it could be this, it could be that. I'm ready to definitively correct, declare that Evan White is Cooked. done. It's yeah, he's, he's cooked. It's over. It's over. Left left on three fifty for a couple hours, like a like a Carmine's yeah. biscotti, right? It's it's and, it's and it's really it's really sad. But I mean, he's gonna miss two months, and then you know it's obviously rehab. And the guy just needed at bats so bad this year, and he's just not gonna get them. It's it's over. It's over. Yeah, I mean that that's that's the rule, folks. If if you are clamoring for Evan White content, unless there's some like massive thing or he gets traded somehow we're not going to talk about him until he's actually doing stuff for the Mariners so that's that's a, a line in the sand here and we'll get into the rest of our podcast which is uh talking about our five takeaways through this first seven games of the season so each of us have five we may have overlap that's how we like to do it it's just kind of surprise ourselves uh, but before we do that we'll get a word from our friends at Elm Coffee Roasters Right here to talk about our friends at Elm Coffee Roasters, who are coming up on their one-year anniversary of becoming a sponsor of the podcast. But rather than me tell you about how great Elm is, and you know, go use the promo code Roughly to get twenty-five percent off your order, which is still valid. I do want to point out that other people like Elm too. There's a blog out there that's uh, travelawaits.com, which seems very legitimate. They have lots of ads on their website, which means they're making money. And they have a, a, a nice little article that says nine delicious coffee shops to try in Seattle that aren't. Starbucks, because yes, there are more uh, than than just uh, the evil empire of Starbucks. And number one on their list, Elm Coffee Roasters, and here's what they have to say. For a cozy neighborhood coffee shop with a focus on house-roasted single-origin brews, check out Elm Coffee Roasters. Located in the heart of Pioneer Square, Seattle's oldest neighborhood, Elm sources high-quality, 
sustainable coffee beans from around the world and roast them in-house three days a week. So if you visit on a Monday, Tuesday, or Thursday, be sure to watch the action through the large viewing window. So don't go to you know that store that everyone goes to in Seattle to check out the coffee. Go to go to Elm, right? You this is this is the real stuff here. Um, the small business that's that's doing really cool stuff and makes awesome coffee. So use that promo code roughly at checkout gets you 25% off your first order. So make it a big order to really get the bang for your buck. And uh, you won't be disappointed because their coffee beats the heck out of anything that you're going to buy at the grocery store in bulk uh, like you have for most of your life. All right, back to the show. And we're back here. Phil, what is your first takeaway through seven games? First takeaway is that Julio is probably the best player in baseball. Like this kid (laughs) is just unbelievable i i mean obviously best player in baseball is hyperbolic but every at bat it just seems like if he's putting the bat on the ball something good is happening obviously the strikeouts are the last frontier that he has to conquer to truly take that step into like you know uh gosh what territory even is there left for him he's already one of the best players but if he can conquer Mookie bets mvp season like that yeah yeah, that's that frontier. If he can conquer that strikeout rate just even a little bit, but every time the bat is on the ball, it's loud, it's a double, it's a home run, it's something. Every time the bat goes on the ball, um, he is just he's just sensational. And he makes enough contact. You know, there are other guys in baseball where they put the bat in the ball and it's always loud contact. Evan the thing White. that he does is he does it with a lot more frequency than those guys. It's mm-hmm. it, it's pretty it's pretty special to watch. Yeah, and there's I, I talked about this right after you hopped off uh, last week that just Julio early in counts and Julio late in counts is is two different players. He's very aggressive early. I was thinking the other day about how remember Robinson Cano took every first pitch, like, yes, just habitually. That was it was just I don't know why, but he did that. Julio is the opposite. It feels like he is out there hunting the free fastballs that often come early in counts because guys want to get ahead. And knowing that there's a lot of meat on that bone. And he, if it, like you said, if he makes contact with those, like it's either a, uh, it's going to end up in the expected batting average category on Savant, like above 400 because yeah. he hits it so hard, no matter where, where he hits it on the field, like it's, it's a threat to, to find grass. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very fun to watch him because you truly feel like he could do damage every single at bat. Yeah, there's a little bit of a slump risk in his profile just because of the, you know, he does have a still a little too much of, if we're going to just be picking nits on him as a player, he still swings and misses too much yeah. a little bit, and he still strikes out a little bit too much. But other than that, it, the, the game is almost beyond reproach, what yeah. he does. Yeah. Yep. My uh, One of my takeaways was a, a catch-all for Gino, Julio, and Ty France all being locked in. Uh, Gino hitting this well without drawing a walk or hitting a home run yet, I think is a more of a good sign than a bad sign. Um, yes, I, I would actually, I totally agree with that. Like him, him hitting singles and doubles and uh, being as, as clutch as he has been like the worry with Gino is that he's just going to end up with, like he had it with the reds of like a season where he hits one ninety and 35 bombs and he becomes like, you know, new age Adam Dunn. Like, right. The fact that he's not, trending in that direction and like you know maybe he he 
becomes this guy who hits 260 with 25 bombs is like that's that's a more exciting player to, the, to us. more more valuable too and yes. i i'm totally happy with what he's his profile trading a little bit of power for a little bit more contact i think mm-hmm. that is something that he should have been doing last year um obviously i know it's not that easy to just be like here i'm going to trade this for that it's different mechanics of your swing and all that but this kind of version of gino is the best one we've seen in seattle so far yeah and and defensively i i am driving the bus like get in there we have lots of seats tickets are free for now we might have to raise the fare for for him as a gold glove contender at third baseman this is still the same league that that matt chapman plays in but gino has been stellar at third he has one of the best arms at third i think in baseball and his glove has been fantastic so far so i hope he can keep it up because um for a player who was originally a shortstop and then kind of a a knock you know a a average or or considered bad third baseman to play as well as he has defensively is is really cool to see yeah he's been he's been stellar he's been everything you could hope and then ty france like you said at the top has been phenomenal um not even hitting the ball that hard like this is a weird comparison but and it's it's really only made because uh you know the san diego connection and this guy was his his coach um, i know who it is yeah <laughs> and this guy was a lefty but tony yeah. Gwynn. i mean like to- tony Gwynn was not a 40 home run guy but just the the batting average was out of control because he just he he didn't miss bad or he didn't miss opportunities to hit. And that's what Ty France is doing right now. He has one strikeout through seven games. Like, come on. He yeah. I mean, good so things happen when you put the bat on the ball, you know? Yeah. That yeah. was the whole theory behind Tommy Listella, but I mean, Tommy <laughs> Listella is horrible. Yeah. Oh, God. So uh, a couple of years ago, we had the three, the Trace Leches. That was Mitch Hanniger, uh, uh Ty France, and Cal Seeger. These three are the new Trace Leches. These are the best three hitters on the team. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Your, your second takeaway. So my second takeaway is a little bit like what you just said, but I want to talk about a different player with it. So Ty France, we just mentioned good things happen when you put the bat on the ball. So let's take that approach with JP Crawford, right? Mm-hmm. Good things happen when you put the bat on the ball, but for JP, he doesn't hit the ball hard. So it needs to be at the appropriate angle. It needs to be the launch angle needs to be optimized for him. And what I mean when I say optimized for him, his optimal launch angle is far different than the optimal launch angle of Julio Rodriguez or Joey Gallo or someone who wants to put more loft on the ball. JP needs to put little loft on the ball, obviously line drives. And you've seen a little bit of that, but JP's swing is scary. Like he's not getting on base enough. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know... If, you know, the because you remember going back to 2022, JP started the season very nicely. Oh, I, um, I, I definitely have a quote like a month in about how I was very happy that we signed him and not a guy like Carlos Correa. So, right. yeah, he was hitting that well. So there's there's and then obviously he tailed off dramatically. And this season, it seems like it hasn't started the best for him. There have been some moments where he's done I think he has what three hits over the first seven games. Um, it it hasn't been great, but he is definitely a huge cog in that lineup. That because, as we talked about, the top three are doing all the damage right now, and yeah. and and JP and the bottom of the order really need to start getting going. Yeah, it so, just it watch- can't it can't get to situations which is how it has felt in the last couple of games where after Gino or Cal or who's ever hitting fifth or sixth. 
you basically just hope and pray that somebody gets on base to get back to Julio. Yeah, you essentially surrender that half inning. Exactly. Yeah. Can't, and it can't, can't be that way. Um, so JP is a huge cog to get the lineup turned back over. I like him in the nine hole, but he has to put an on-base percentage up similar to what he was doing at the start of 2022. It just had, if he's going to be an everyday regular, it has to be something more along those lines. Yeah. That bleeds well with my second takeaway here, which is where are the walks? The The Mariners yeah. have a walk rate of five and a half percent, which is near, I think it's like 27th or 28th in baseball right now. Last year it was around 10%, second behind the Yankees in all of baseball. So we're basically dealing with like a half of, of as many walks as we were drawing last year. And, uh, you know, that's no Mitch Hanniger, who was not a, a walk drawer. And, um, you know, it, it, there's not really any logic to it. Like I said, Gino Suarez hasn't started drawing walks and, and Ty France is just hitting everything. So like there's reasons why this is happening. And I also uh, think one of the big reasons too is four of our games were versus Cleveland and they yes. are just like, they are the team that doesn't walk anyone, puts the bat on the ball. They are just like one of the most fundamentally sound teams in baseball. So I think part of that is just because the pitching that we faced, um, at least Cleveland, which was four of the seven games is just so fundamentally sound. Yeah, very true. Very true. So that's going to have to change. The Mariners are going to have to be able to draw walks because they're not a, a high contact team outside of really Thai France. And um, you know, if, if, if structurally this is going to be a team that basically looks around and waits for, for big loud hits from Teoscar Julio and Gino to score runs, then you're going to have to have guys on base for that and walks yeah. are the way, way it has to happen. Takeaway three from the Biscotti bad boy. Number three? Yep. Um, number three for me, going to be Paul Seawald, right? Yikes. We've talked about we've talked about this uh a couple of times. It it I don't have any of the specifics like stat-wise to see what's going on, but it does feel like he's starting to cinder like you said the other day. You know, Cinderella's chariot is turning into a pumpkin. How, how does that story go? The, yeah, the, clock, is, like the clock is striking midnight on Paul. Yeah, the clock Seawald. is striking midnight on Paul. Um, he's always been one of those guys, and maybe it's just our own priors that we're not um, we're not taking into account. But anytime you have a guy who pops up out of nowhere like Paul Seawald, who is essentially a journeyman turned dominant, you're just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? Yep. Um, with Paul, the other shoe hasn't dropped for two years. 2021, exceptional. 2022, exceptional. He started leaking a little bit of oil towards the end of 2022, and we're starting to see more of that oil leakage. Uh, he was very, very bad against the Angels the other night. He wasn't as dominant. He's not striking out as much. Um, and it's just one of those concerns where at the end of the day, if you're going to ask who your highest leverage relievers are, I think you have to say at this point is Munoz and Brash and you leave Seawald out and you start putting him in a little bit lower leverage just because you don't have that trust with him at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just a quick look on Seawald's stack ass page. Like it's not too far off from, from normal stuff, but the big glaring difference so far seems to be just that he is throwing way more in the zone. Like his fastball is, he's not able to, paint the top of the zone as well as he has been in the past and, and really get those, get that perfect uh, position, right. Where you're getting the swing, 
but you're not going to get damage on that or be able to make contact with it. And if, if, if that starts dropping a couple inches closer to the heart of the zone, then his fastball is not like the 99 blow it past you variety. It is the 93. Here you go yeah. on a, in a soft serve dish. Yeah, exactly. I do want to draw your attention to one of the things that is going to hurt Paul and a lot of pitchers this year. Um, this is one of those rule changes that kind of fell under the radar. And I'm not even sure you could classify this as a rule change. But the zone at the top of the strike zone yes. is starting to get compressed. Okay. For guys like Garrett Cole, who can throw 98 at the top of the zone, it's probably not going to be as big of an issue. But guys like Paul, who are high spin and need to go to the very, very tippy top of the zone, yeah, I think I think it could be a problem. I think that could definitely be a problem that we're going to have to monitor. And, uh, you know, we talked at the top of this this podcast of uh, another guy who's struggling. Matt Festa is kind of a seawalled clone in a lot of ways, and yeah. that's where he makes his money too. So these guys are going to have to adjust or uh, uh, what is it, the practice of the Japanese? Like, you know, it, yeah, it, it, check. Yep. yeah you, you got to adapt. And so I, I, I have confidence that they can, and this, this organization has found out, you know, hacks for these guys in the past. And um, I hope that, uh, that that happens. But, yes, definitely troubling results out of the bullpen so far. Uh, what's another one for me? How about uh, DH is just a problem. Like Tommy Lestella, straight up problem. Tommy yeah. Tom Murphy, and Cooper Hummel have been tough watches so far. I still believe in Hummel. The tools, I think, yeah, are I don't there. think Hummel's been a tough watch. I don't think that one's fair, but yeah, Lestella's been a tough watch, and Murphy has definitely been a tough watch. I don't yeah. know if he's, I don't know if he's drawn or uh, been on base yet. Um, having started a couple of games, and remember, it was a, it was a tough situation for the Mariners last year too they traded for Carlos Santana not at the deadline a full month before that on June 27th of last year because of how bad the uh the DH situation was um and so this will have to get resolved and like this this is the glaring weakness I think we identified this as like if the Mariners are going to make a trade at some point this year it's going to have to be uh to for, for a bat it would be to upgrade a DH which you know ultimately is a pretty good position to be in because those are the easiest uh, you know, you're, yeah. not, you're not trying to thread the needle with a position. You're just trying to get a, a bat. Yeah, so that, um, a high quality bat. That helps. But, um, but you know, this this cannot be a zero as it is right now. Yeah, at this point, it almost feels like, and I know the Mariners don't want to do this because they want to protect Jared Kelnick. But the best course of option, like in terms of you're going to optimize your lineup, and I know Jared struggles against lefties, but you just you might have to run him out there every day and just stick Pollock at DH, right? Yeah. Like it's getting to that. I mean, it's not getting it's seven games into the season, but if this trend continues, that's something you might have to seriously look at doing, which is just super suboptimal. But you know, we talked about this a lot. This is the position that the Mariners put themselves in. They had a lot of different opportunities to go out and find some looks this offseason. This is what they wanted to do. And now you kind of got to you got to roll with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe this is the plan all along is just, you know, you get a couple months of, of Hummel and, and, you know, hopefully Kalanick rounds out to it and that, that, that's the solution. Um, but it, it has not worked so far. The other note on that, what and you, you hit on the exact point I was going to make is that the, the, the Kalanick protection is real. He has one at bat against the lefty so far this year. Um, and that, that, that has been AJ Pollock's job is to, to deal and, with lefties. And- he looked horrible against that lefty with that Heron kid. And it looked oh, awful. Well, everyone looked horrible against that yeah. kid for Cleveland. Yeah. Um, 
that could be its own podcast. It's just how terrifying Cleveland is, but that's yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll pretend like we can get, compete with them later in the season or in this next series that we have to go play uh, in Cleveland. God, I'm so glad we get them out of the way early. So I just can relax. They're the, my, they're my least favorite team to play against by oh. far worse than the Astros. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm pulling it. Out. Oh yeah. I'm, I was trying to remember the, uh, the Ichiro Cleveland quote when remember yeah. it was the, the, the 2007 series, I think, uh, when yep. they had to like play at the end of the season in Cleveland because of a rainout. And Ichiro says, if I ever saw, say, saw myself saying I'm excited going to Cleveland, I'd punch myself in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's how we feel about playing Cleveland, no matter if it's in Seattle or. Uh, yeah. No, anywhere. I don't care even about Cleveland, the city, whatever. Yeah. Cleveland, right. the baseball team is one of the worst things I've ever had to experience in my life. Yeah. The, and, and, I want to be clear. It's not worst because I like, I just don't respect them. I respect them so much. So I love, I love their baseball team. I love the way it's been put together. It's one of the best teams in baseball, but my God, is it horrible to play against? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just an, just a nine inning nightmare every time. Yeah. And, and it, we got a, I think a 10 or 11 inning nightmare against them too. So that was fun. Uh, your fourth takeaway. Fourth takeaway is now touching again on the Robbie Ray injury. What is the plan? I obviously right now it's Chris Flexen, Marco Gonzalez. Marco did not look terrible um, in that start against Cleveland. He did get roughed. His line did not look good. Um, just One because he didn't. Really. Yeah, he gave up that three-run homer against um, Zanino, which to Ugh. be fair, like that was that was a cheap cheapy home run. It it, it just barely cleared the fence. Uh, you know whatever. Um, but as we've talked about. A million times on this podcast, Marco's not that guy. Um, he's not it. Uh, and now you're down to a position where you're going to need him unless you're going to make some drastic. How how bad does it have to get um, until one of these young kids, Emerson Hancock, Bryce Miller, comes up and replaces that position in the in the rotation? Obviously, Robbie Ray being out has kind of shifted the balance a little bit, but you're still in a position where okay, now you have Chris Flexen back in the rotation, you could easily put a Bryce Miller or a uh, Emerson Hancock in there. But watching what Marco does over the course of the next month is going to be very telling about his future with the team because I don't believe the team's going to feel a lot of patience now that they know it's kind of a playoffs or bust um, type of season. And we're not there yet. I think Marco, it, you know, could figure it out and could round into a guy who just makes the most out of, of what he has. But what do you do with him? This is a guy that 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 has a player option for $12 million next year. He is not like he yeah, is he's going not to getting 12 on the open market. He is he is taking that. So yes. you might as well consider that guaranteed. Right. So, I mean, that that and I don't this is not to say like Marco's just going to, you know, take his foot off the gas and mail it in knowing that he has that. But. Um, and who knows, you see Kikuchi had an option too, that we all thought he was going to take. And he, he said no, for some reason. Um, but like, I don't, I don't know what the, if that, if we reach that point where Bryce Miller comes up, like you're not, you're not sending Marco Gonzalez to Tacoma. Like you can't, you're not even allowed to. Yeah, exactly. So I, you know, it's like, does he end up on the 60 day IL with just a question mark next to his name? Like, I don't know how you actually manage that. Situation. I mean, I guess you demote him to the bullpen, but still you're using a roster spot on a guy who just, it, it's not, I don't know. We're going to have to, we're going to have to see what Marco can provide. Um, it, like I said, 
he actually did some things right against Cleveland. He was touching the corners of the zone. He was living there, but it's just, it's so troubling that like that to me looked like peak Marco, like what we could expect in 2023. And it was still five innings, four earned runs. You know, it's just like, God, this guy walks. It's it. I forgot why I disliked watching his start so much. And I don't want to be negative. I'm actually very positive about where the Mariners are. All things considered, even at two and five. Um, but that 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 feels like it's it's trouble brewing right there. Sure does, yeah. And the the Robbie injury immediately makes that a, just a whole different story of just like you know this this rotation with Marco as the fifth best guy is still pretty good. Marco as the, so, the fifth the fifth best guy with flexing as your fourth is just a different caliber uh, of 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 a of a of a staff. Last thing I wanted to touch on with this Marco thing was it almost opens the door a little bit for a, a decision to come sooner on Marco, right? Because now that you've put Flexen back in the rotation, if Flexen performs and he performs well, like he did against last night, yeah, um, last night, if he performs well, you're not taking him out of the rotation. So when, when Robbie comes back, uh, there's a decision, you know, there's a decision that needs to be made and maybe they'll work around and saying, Oh, well, we need to limit George's innings, you know, so we're going to, piggyback these two guys or whatever um but you're not taking chris flexen out of the rotation if he performs so what do you do when robbie comes back if chris flexen's performing Mm -hmm. yeah i wouldn't say it's uh i mean there are options i think that that's that's a good part of this is like i said miller uh broa and and hancock are all you know seemingly decent options i think between those three guys one of them will probably pan out and be a pretty good starter um, and that's a good position to be in, but the management of that situation sounds uh, horrible to deal with. So I, I I'll just I, say this: there will be a full scale revolt <laughs> if if Flexen is pitching like we know Flexen can, and Marco is struggling, and then when Robbie comes back, Flexen gets demoted back to the bullpen. There will be a revolt in Seattle. Yeah, for the free Flexen, uh, the 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 free flex freaks we call ourselves the triple Fs will uh, yeah. will get out there and start flipping cars. Um, did you see what happened or the, the criticism that, that, uh, Marco Gonzalez's trade counterpart got the other day? Yeah, I saw he, apparently he didn't run hard enough around third base or something. He like took a bad angle around third. It sounds like, and, and didn't, and also didn't run hard enough. And then, uh, I think his name is Oliver Marmol is the, 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 Ollie Marmol. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the Cardinals manager was, was publicly upset with him five games into the season. It was pretty weird. How do you feel about, um, this is, I guess, more of like a management overall question, not even really related to baseball. How do you feel about publicly lambasting one of your employees? I think publicly lambasting like the team context is important. Like you don't know what has been tried like before yes. that, you know, like has there been and maybe this was maybe this is like a chronic issue and yeah. like, yeah. There's been several closed door meetings trying to break through to Tyler O'Neill and that just, yeah. you know, they had enough. And that, that's what I would assume that like any professional manager would would handle it that way. Um, on its surface, it's certainly jarring to see a specific player get called out. You see a lot of like kind of general stuff of even Scott Service the other day was like, yeah, we're not in a good groove right now. We're not we're not being patient. We're not doing what we need to do. And that's that's like a we thing. That's like the entire, yeah. you know, you, you hear that. It's not calling out a specific guy. Yeah. And, you uh, know, this used to happen a lot more, though, in like the 90s and early 2000s. Like managers would have no problem <laughs> back in the day being like, 
yeah, he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure Lou Pinella has some some press clippings. Or, yeah, Larry Stone could probably dig up hundreds of them for us. Of uh, I mean, remember Brett Boone and Lou Pinella? They had like such a feud. Yeah. Yeah, they hated each other. Yeah. Yeah. Let's bring that back. I don't think Scott Service hates anybody. Um, yeah. Uh, my, oh, yeah. My fourth takeaway here. God, we need Dylan Moore back. Like, Dil- Dylan yeah, Moore. That's, that's huge. Yeah. <laughs> Dylan Moore should not be a linchpin, but he is a linchpin. Like, he, uh, his, his value, I mean, as a player, his versatility, all that. Like, he, he where the player he was last year and in 2020 is a very good and useful player. And his role of protecting Colton Wong from lefties, banishing Tommy Lestella from Seattle, adding juice to the lineup. Like those three things are huge, huge pieces that we're so close to getting back uh, once Dylan is healthy. Yep. I couldn't agree more. And just like the amount of the way you can mix and match when Dylan's back and God willing, it's not Tommy. It's Tommy Lestella who, cause somebody has got to go off the 26, right? So yeah. God willing, it's Tommy Lestella, but the way you can mix and match with Dylan. Now you can put him at short when JP is struggling or there's a tough lefty, or you can put him at second when Colton Wong is struggling or there's a tough lefty, or you can put him in left because AJ Pollock has to DH that day, or you can put him in right because Teoscar Hernandez is not doesn't have good numbers against this guy or whatever mm-hmm. you know Dylan Moore is just such a linchpin to making this lineup function more smoothly and that yeah. is a crazy thing to say but it is the truth it has to be Lestella right you, you'd hope so you would hope so given given that Lestella appears to be not playing the field ever yeah. like what, I have what, a bad I have a bad feeling it'll be Cooper Hummel just because he has options and they want to yeah. sell around just because they think there might be something there I don't know it's it's uh it's a little painful so hurry well don't hurry back to more take as much time as you need but we are so so ready to have you back when you're ready your okay my, this is the a general one it is really hard to hit in in T-Mobile in April <laughs> my god yeah. like on those cold nights like I've been to two games and you know, you, you go to enough games and you start to hear the way the ball sounds off the bat. Right. And you're like, Oh, that's a Homer. Oh, that's a double. Right. Just the way the bat cracks it, you know, with, unless it's hit right at somebody, but I've had many times where I was in the, at the game on um, Monday, I was there Monday night. Yeah. I was there Monday night. And it's just like, wow, this ball is just dying. Like it looks like a no doubter. And all of a sudden it just dies. I don't know if it's the Marine layer. I don't know if it's cold, but my God, is it hard for these guys to hit in April here? Yeah, I believe definitely one of, yeah, I, I'm looking at Julio and Gino's uh, like hit spray charts and they, they have a combined five doubles that like legitimately appear to be home runs. If you look at, if you yeah. look at, at like how they've uh, how they've been spread out on, on the, the chart, those are probably all homers in like, five weeks just because yeah. of getting getting that marine layer out of there and uh so that's you know something that, that goes both ways like the the cheapo mike Zanino home run like that just means it goes four rows farther back but right. um but for for this team like they kind of need that that oomph and uh yeah it's it, it's a slog yeah, i'm not saying it's just hard for seattle for the mariners to hit yeah. I, it's hard it's hard for everyone to hit in that stadium right now which makes otani's home run uh, the one that was like 450 feet that that's like a 470 foot homer in in july you know that that ball was just cracked yeah that that was um like teoscar hernandez's first home run he had no doubt about i had a little bit of doubt after after there was 
none as soon as as otani made contact um it it was you knew not just that it was a homer but it was blasted yeah he's uh he's gonna look so good in teal next year like my god i think it's gonna be 550 million plus i uh yeah i just don't think we have the stomach for it don't don't we don't have the the chutzpah yeah no i i think i think we're scared i think we don't want that smoke (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, antagonize John Stanton every time you see him to, to say that I actually, the I, So I was there Monday night, and I was behind him, and, and I did make that joke. I was like, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks pretty good, doesn't he? Yeah, uh, looks pretty damn good, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my fifth observation is a, another bigger picture takeaway in that the pitch clock already feels like an old friend. Yes. <laughs> doesn't it? You know, I was so worried about this pitch clock. I was like, no, it's going to give me anxiety. And I'm going to be like, always just watching that instead of focusing on the game and whatever. I've literally one week into the season, I've already forgot it exists. I don't look at the little thing in the bottom anymore because I just assume that the pitch is going to come on time. And, uh, you know, it's just it makes the game feel so much smoother. The only bad thing is. I don't get enough time between at bats to like text you things, you know, like, (laughs) oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So that's the only bad thing, but otherwise it's been, it's been phenomenal. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it'd be interesting. Um, you know, MLB bunny and all that. Like what if you added like pitch clock stays, but you added an extra 30 second commercial at the end of every inning, not every half, but you know, like, I think it's, it's an interesting thought because everything that the, that major league baseball had done previously to cut time, you know, shortening up the in-between innings um, you know, the, the intentional walk, getting rid of that, like, those those were saving like a couple minutes like the the pitch yeah. clock has t- has removed the need for any yeah. of that like, the pitch is, clock is pitch clock is a behemoth it's removing it, 30 35 minutes on a game yeah it is a scythe compared to the the little razor that we had been using before so uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do because i think that there's there is a, a a balance to be struck especially when it comes to the playoffs and and things like that where pace of play isn't as much of a concern uh, but yeah, just in the aggregate, like, I think it's phenomenal. I think that I am actually more absorbed in the game than I have been totally. in the past. Like, it's so easy to just like do something else and kind of like, you know, lose focus. But uh, knowing that there's a pitch coming in 15 seconds, it's just, it's, it keeps you engaged in the game in a different way than I and ever have been. It sucks. It totally sucks when the Mariners go one, two, three, and it's like a minute <laughs> and a half, but like, the best feeling in the world is when our pitchers go one, two, three, and it's like, holy mm-hmm. shit, we're already back up to bat. This is yep. amazing. Like, it just feels good, you know? I think the pitch clock has been phenomenal. And the other the other biggest change, like the, sh- the shift, I haven't really been paying as much attention to. I think that those those changes won't be as, um, as seismic at the end of the year as maybe we expected. But for I think for certain guys, it does make a big difference over the course of yeah, the year. Yeah, I mean, Jared, Jared, Jared owes one of his base hits already to he sure the does. shift. Yep, but the the biggest impact has been base running and steals. Yeah, uh, there have been 124 stolen bases through uh, before today's games had started. So that's like roughly four and a half percent of the season so far. That's on pace for 2,870 stolen bases. There were 2,486 last year, so that's uh, on pace for about 400 more steals this year than last year, which is excellent. Yeah, and as the weather gets warmer and people's yep. legs are looser, it's just going to be more and more. And and the secret's not even really out yet. I mean, like some teams, I think we're more prepared for it than others. But once you get like younger guys coming up in in uh, August and September that were yep. you know younger and fresher, like 
there's going to be movement out there. And it's, it's uh, I've said this for a long time. I think it's important for baseball to have a path for the, the, the contact fast guys like D Gordon, like D Gordon's a fun player. And he was basically just made extinct because of the the way the game was being played. The baseball needs Juan Pierre's, you know, it needs guys like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with the pitch clock and I'm very happy with the, uh, the, the bigger bag so far. Um, we'll see if, like I said, if there's any recourse or like perfect calibration with it, but, um, I think both these are, are welcome changes that are bearing fruit already. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Ending. Hydro. Of, yep. Bike ride and hydro of this. Uh, who do you have for your bike ride or rides of this week? I have two and they're both players. Hmm. Obviously, I'm just gonna get the one out of the way. Tommy Listella. It's just a. It's a, it's horrible watching this guy. It's horrible. Yeah. His bat yeah. is is, is it, it, it. Like his whole calling card was, hey, he doesn't strike out. Doesn't matter if you pound everything into the damn dirt, man. Mm. Like it's it's horrible. I don't want to talk about him anymore. So I'm gonna move on to my second guy, James Karinchak. God, he is just the ultimate bike rider. He's a, he's a, uh, he's annoying, and I'm so glad we got to him at least once. But like watching his little routine now and then with the whole argument like he you know everything about him is just loathsome like you, you can still tell he's using sticky stuff with mm-hmm. how he's playing with the you know with the baseball he keeps kind of touching and and flipping the ball around and whatever and then you know he takes forever he's super fidgety he's just annoying to watch yeah yeah he's anxiety provoking and it's yeah. like i don't want anxiety watching a guy in the seventh inning um i i have one player and one team the uh jesse winker for hitting um he's slugging 444 from Milwaukee early in the season and this is just you know this him him hitting this year not at the level I think that he had been with Cincinnati just because the stadium and all that him hitting better than he did last year was like the easiest bet to make he's healthy he just played so terribly last year like he was going to hit better um and in theory like him playing DH yes you don't have Colton Wong but like for this this Mariners team would have been interesting and much better than what we're dealing with right now but uh, they, meaning the Mariners, really had to have hated Jesse Winker because that proposition seemed seemed ready made for them, and they they opted to go against it. Yeah, you know, I don't anything that happens with Jesse Winker, it's not a huge deal to me because at the end of the day, I will look back on that trade fondly a hundred percent of the time because it did get us Gino, and that's really what mattered to me. Like. And and granted, it wasn't that way when it started, but like I will always look back on that trade fondly now. Yeah, it's true, it's true. But um, just the the Jesse Winker, like I said, with him and Kyle Lewis, I think have had had two of the weirder Mariner careers of of uh, of anybody that's come through this very weird organization. My other one, the Angels. Yes, they just beat us, but it actually has nothing to do with them on on the field. Um, yeah. The franchise. They have this reporter roundtable on the AM radio oh, station. Oh, I heard about this. Yes, the AM radio station that they own in uh, in Orange County or LA or whatever it is, and they banned uh, Sam Blum, who or Bloom, who covers the Athletic or who covers the Angels for the Athletic, uh, because Sam Bloom was being too negative. And I think that this is such candy ass bullshit from from the Angels. The things Fucking that, North Korea, they can't say what they <laughs> want to say on there. It's like state-run media. Exactly. The things Bloom has reported on include the fact that the Angels are too cheap to actually carry their their radio broadcasters to road games. They have them uh, call games remotely. That they don't treat their Spanish language announcers well enough in Los Angeles, literally a, a, a city that is uh, in in Spanish because there's yeah. it has that much of a tie to the Hispanic population. 
and how Artie Marino flip-flopped on selling the team, which is true and put the team in a really weird position. So reporting, like he's doing his job and that is so lame. And when you get fair criticism from people who are smart and cover the team, you have two options, either do this shit where you, you shut it down and pretend it doesn't exist or listen to it and try and do better. And silencing it just is going to ruin your PR and make you look like. Or just of- respond, respond. Tell yeah. them, no, this bullshit. This isn't true. You don't have the facts. Like, you know, like you have three options actually. And they just chose the worst one. Yeah. Choose the one that neuters your PR instantly yeah. and makes you even more of a joke than people already think you you are. There's a similar situation that happened in, in, uh, Syracuse, a guy who's on uh, lo- local radio in Syracuse being critical of the basketball team on their ESPN station there. And they fired him because basically Jim Beheim was like, yeah, has, has too much power in that city and said like, yeah, we don't want this guy because he's being too negative about the program. And it's like, meanwhile, Syracuse hasn't made the tournament in three years and Jim Beheim's an asshole. And like, it's just such a bad look. Like, I don't understand why we do this <laughs> as often as it, as it, it happens. It's just, I guess, for the journalists, it's an occupational hazard, I suppose, right? Yeah, it has been cool to see, though, that um, I know, I think his name's Steve Fletcher, who covers, or Jeff Fletcher, some name's yeah. Fletcher, he, he covers, he covers, he's writing a book about Otani, he covers the Angels, too. Him and another uh, Angels beat writer have uh, basically said, like, yeah, we don't need to be on this beat writer thing either. So um, the Angels have completely basically lost this segment because they banned one person from it. So good for them. Stupid what a, franchise. What a fucking franchise, yeah. Anyway, okay. Hydros. My hydros, I think I need to give it to Dave Sims. He was it was so sweet on opening day. I was lucky enough to be there. Uh he was honored on opening day and he, you know, did and they panned to the camera into the press box and they said, you know, Dave's been with us. I think how many years? 17 years. Sounds right, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Dave's been there forever and, you know, he got his moment in the sun. And I I know everyone kind of thinks of him as like sort of a meme. You know, there's every time the Mariners win, as people post memes of like Dave Sims, you just lost to the Mariners ball club or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's funny and whatever. But like Dave's been just like a rock for this organization for so long. And I think it was it was a nice little gesture to to get him some um, some recognition. My other hydro is going to be the stadium malfunctioning mm. now on Sat- sunday it was a day game right yep and the mariners were attempting to close the roof now when you close the roof it casts a shadow over the field right and the roof mm-hmm. closes slowly so the stadium broke at the perfect moment because i there was a gear that went out or something they fixed it they've since fixed it because if they were to have closed that roof it would have cast a shadow halfway in between the pitcher and the hitter during our at that. And you know how hitters hate that where the ball starts out in the the shadow and then goes to the light or vice versa. If it starts in the light and then goes into the shadow, it's like impossible to hit. So the stadium roof broke. It was like, it was trying to save us and and encourage us and say, you can win. Although we didn't win on Sunday, but it broke at the perfect time because it didn't, it wasn't able to get over the pitcher to cast that shadow um to make it harder for us to hit so so big ups to the stadium roof there a uh a, a place affectionately called now the electric factory having electrical malfunctions uh, a yeah. week into the season is, is a little poetic uh my hydro was another mariners broadcaster rick riz 
Why? Who has just celebrated his 40th year as a Mariners broadcaster. He uh, that was that happened, I think, in yesterday's game or yesterday or or Tuesday's game, one of the two. But anyways, 40 years as a Mariners broadcaster. Rick Riz has been calling Mariners games longer than Mila Kunis has been alive. He's oh been God. calling uh, Mariners games longer than the Indianapolis Colts have existed, as the Indianapolis Colts, obviously the Baltimore Colts before that. Before that. And since before the Reagan v. Mondale election, like he has been around, like he's an institution. And uh, I, I think it would kind of, you know, it's kind of Dave Sims too. Like you take these guys for granted of like, I think there's a lot of made of, of like what these guys who aren't Aaron Goldsmith aren't. And like, they're not Aaron yeah. Goldsmith, but like, they're still awesome, awesome broadcasters. And, and you, you know, know, we shit, we shit on the Mariners organization from time to time. But one thing that is kind of striking is look at the tenure of the radio guys and the yeah. and the broadcast guys. I mean, they are obviously doing something right to keep these guys. 40 years for Riz, 17 years for Sims. Goldsmith decided he didn't want to go take his dream job. Blowers has been there for probably te- what is Blowers will there? have that job until he retires. Yeah, like, so I mean, they're doing something right on the broadcasting side to make these guys feel like this is their permanent home. So I guess that is a, a big kudos to the Mariners organization. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, like a, a place that has, you know, as you walk into the stadium and has Dave Niehaus, in, you know, uh, in bronzed in, in in right field there, like that's probably a good sign to, to you if you're if you're a person who works there in, in media. Just like, yeah, that like not just this this team, this organization, but the city does connect with with broadcasters and, and voices. And I think in I don't know, I don't know if it's different than other places. I know that, that every city has beloved broadcasters, but um, it certainly makes showing up to work every day I feel good especially because like look Rick Riz how many how many winning seasons has he called in those 40 like yeah. eight maybe you know oh, these like, guys have to be stoked at the direction of the Mariners <laughs> yeah let me just let me just pop pop this whole thing off because there's been a lot of negativity the Mariners are gonna be fine I, I really believe that there's nothing that's been such a red flag to me that like it, it, you know I I can't imagine what there would be in the first seven games that would make you like think oh shit this might go bad but I really haven't seen anything that's like so concerning. It's like, this needs to be addressed right now. Well, we talked about Cleveland, but also like, you know, the angels started hot last year too, but like this, yeah. this angels team, like they, they're better. Like we, we said that and that's the case and they still have two of the most five uh, terrifying hitters in baseball. Like this is, this is a team that, you know, they can make the playoffs. Like it's not impossible. So, yeah. um, you know, but the that- Raiders will be just fine. We'll be, looking back on this in august and we're gonna be right there in the race and i'm sure we're gonna be losing our minds then but yeah. for right now i think everything's all right yep flag it folks if uh if we're in august and, and we're not there then you can you can use this audio clip as much as you want but uh for now i am with you phil i'm feeling fine that's uh let's go let's go take two or three from cleveland and, and get this shit back on track i mean that's gonna be another tough task but you know we, we, we will do our best right yeah we'll play oakland eventually that's that's the key here is just beat the shit out of oakland and everything will be okay uh if we start losing to oakland then yeah we got problems but um yeah we'll cross that bridge okay phil good stuff uh i'll let you get back to your day job and uh go ems we'll see you next week all right talk to you soon all right And if you liked what you heard today, make sure to rate, subscribe, review, follow, Venmo us, put us in your will. Um, Whatever you can do um, is is important. So appreciate you for listening. And uh, yeah, go Ems. Peace.